Virtuous Man, a podcast devoted to sharing the lives of men of history, fiction, and today, and the virtues they personify. Welcome to a special edition episode where we interview Alan Smith, co-author of the book Man, Fight for Me, the role of authentic masculinity in ending sexual exploitation and trafficking. Hosted by me, Jamie Adams, and Scott Eining. Welcome to another special edition of uh, Virtuous Man. Today we're mixing things up a bit. Uh, instead of our usual storytelling on specific virtues, we're going to be interviewing Alan Smith. Alan, welcome. Oh, gosh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So Alan is co-author of a book titled Man, Fight for Me, The Role of Authentic Masculinity in Ending Sexual Exploitation and Trafficking. Um, he's also executive director of Saving Innocence, which is an anti-human trafficking organization. Uh, it's focused on recovery and restoration of child victims of sex trafficking, and they're based in L.A. That's it. You, you summed it up. That's uh, that's my day job for sure. It's your entire <laughs> career in one sentence. It's beautiful. <laughs> Right. It's all about the dash. The year you were born, the year you you, you left us, and that whatever's in the middle. It's a That's right. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Dash. The hidden stuff. Yeah. Dash is important. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we kind of briefly um, like to get to know you real quick um, before we dig into the book itself. Um, mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and then how you kind of came to writing the book? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I live, I think he said, I live in Los Angeles, California. And uh, that's where I lead Saving Innocence, and we're at savinginnocence.org if anyone wants to check out what we're doing. Um, married to my lovely wife, Sharon, for, come on now, wait for it, 38 years. I know wow. I know you can't believe that, but it's true. And um, I have a son who's married and a daughter. And um, what else is there? Um, sports fan, and in general, uh, I like action movies, and I don't know if this is... I don't know if when you show this, it can be seen. It's visual. It's just audio or visual. But as you guys already noticed, I got a bunch of great movie posters. <laughs> you sure do. <laughs> yeah, we, we approve wholeheartedly. Okay. Good, good, good. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into the questions. Um, so my first question for you is is kind of about the the subtitle of the book. Yeah. Um, it's it's a little bit of a mouthful, and I'm, I'm actually surprised I, I managed to not stumble through it there. Um, it's yeah, bravo, bravo. So the role yeah. of authentic masculinity in ending sexual exploitation and trafficking. Right. So authentic masculinity is an important term there to you. What is that and how does it play a role in ending this evil? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. And, um, what is authentic masculinity? What, what does it mean to be a real man? When do you become one? Uh, is it a certain age? Is it when a, a, a male has sex the first time? Does that mean he's a man now? Is it a, a graduation? Did he graduate college? Did he get married? Like no one really knows. There's no agreed upon definition of what an actual authentic, uh, positive, powerful man is. And, and so that's what's led us to many of the problems here that we see around the world right now, especially the one we're going to talk about tonight. And so what does it have to do with this evil? The evil of human trafficking has everything to do with it. Um, most of the buyers of sex are men. Most of the sellers or the traffickers are men by far. And so those are those are weak-minded men who have given themselves over some kind of greed, some kind of narcissism, some kind of entitlement, some kind of addiction. And they've gone down a dark path where they think it's okay to buy another human mm -hmm. and for their own personal gratification. And so we need strong men to step in that gap, confront those men that are after uh, harmful actions. And so we need that authentic man. And so if I'm going to call something authentic, that must imply there's an inauthentic version. And that's exactly what we're seeing played out around the world and, and, and around our country. We have a cheapened uh, uh, versions of manhood. We have diminished, hurtful, uh, counterfeit versions of man. And so in the book, in chapter four, I think we call it man to man. I take some time in my male voice to um, speak to men. And okay, let's, uh, in my humble opinion, here's what it means to be a real man. And there's four tenets, four pillars, if you call them, 
that that in, in my definition, this is what it means to be a real man. And it started many, many years ago when my son was just five years old. And I had a couple of buddies and they had sons the same age. We got together that, okay, let's, well, how are we going to do this? How are we going to raise these, these, these little guys to be good, strong, helpful, positive, awesome, you know, young men. And job number one was to define a man. Well, what's the target? What are we talking about here? Are you running a hundred yards or a marathon? Like it's very different races. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah. And, and so we decided to give our sons a gift of clarity. And uh, so I'll just briefly say what they are and we can unpack any of them if you want. But um, number one, he accepts responsibility. A real man, an authentic man um, accepts responsibility. Uh, number two, he leads courageously. He's a courageous leader. If we're going to fix problems in this world, we're going to need men to step up and lead courageously. An authentic man, not a cheap version, not a counterfeit, not a diminished version, won't lead courageously. And he won't accept responsibility for not only his actions, but the bigger picture of, of his community. Three, he lives a life of service. A, a real man, an authentic man is here to serve, not to take. He's here to give. Try, he's here to add value wherever he might be. And then the fourth one is simply um, he, he understands that who he is is more important than what he does. It's sort of a focus on the internal, not the external. The character, integrity, um, all those kinds of things. Honesty. Who you are on the inside, guys, is more important than who you are on the outside. Like, we don't care what job you have. We don't care if you're a great singer or an athlete or you're really smart. or we don't. None of that stuff. It's fine. Go be you. Go do that. But just understand, guys, that that is no higher than second place of stuff that's important about you. In first place, standing alone is who you are on the inside, like who you are when no one's looking. That's what mm. an authentic man does. He focuses on the internal. He does those other things. And so when we, you know, we're raising our boys, we celebrate those things when we saw them. Chorus of men cheering each other on and young men uh, correct them uh, when they were, you know, we didn't see them happening when they should have been happening. And so that's, that's, that's what a real man is. That's what an authentic man is. Now you at home, the, the listening audience, you may want to, you may like some of that. You might want to swap one out or whatever, add to it, throw it all away. The, the important thing is to come up with the, the target. What are we trying to do guys? Like, what are we doing? And if you're, if you're someone who's raising young boys or you're around young boys, what are we giving to them? And we can't give them anything more important than what it means to be a man that's going to be helpful to this world, not hurtful. And so that's, that's the answer. That's what it is. It has everything to do with trafficking because um, we're going to need a bunch of strong men accepting responsibility, um, leading courageously to step in the gap and confront this. Very well said. I, I actually, when you were talking there, I thought of, uh, it's in the book. You, you have, you have a quote that you used to, you say to your, your son when you drop him off. Yeah. Um, you remember what I'm talking about? Can you, uh, be a be a leader, not a mindless follower. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love that. It's funny. My my daughter just started kindergarten yesterday, and and I, I was reading that and again, and it just really stuck with me. Like, wow, that's that's a great thing to say to them as they go off yeah. to school. They're thinking about so many other things, and you know, there's there's peer pressure. There's there's attempting to fit in, and yeah, yeah what a what a good thing to instill in their mind as you you know, say goodbye to them for the day. Well, and I literally said that every single day for many, many years, <laughs> kind of, Hey, love you. Have a great day. All right. Hey, be a leader, not a mindless follower today, you know? And then yeah. later on in the, the day they came home, I said, Hey, do you have any opportunities to be a leader today? How'd that go? And the cool thing about a statement like that is it's applicable to five and six year olds. And it's applicable to 20, 30 and 40 year olds. Yeah. Let's go guys be a leader today, not a mindless follower of all the people that are going to drag you, all the influences are going to drag you down a path that you know isn't helpful. It's destructive. Be a leader today. It, it, it works for all ages. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. I love it. Yeah, really good stuff. Well, and oh, and just when you were ending that, ending your little speech there, it kind of led in perfectly to what my next question was going to be. So um, when you look at the fact that men are the driving force of sex trafficking, it makes sense that men would be the driving force to end it. You know, it makes perfect sense. You've got the the opposite and then the, both sides of the issue. But however, as you're probably well aware, we live in an age that is constantly trying to tear down the traditional roles of men and women to the point where we're being led to believe that men and women are basically no different from one another. So looking at it in light of sex trafficking, it seems like it would be almost a controversial statement to specifically call out men as if you're saying, well, what about women? You know, don't you care about women who are in the fight? What about them? You know, so I guess my question was, your focus, your focus on men, has that led to backlash or support for 
specifically calling them into the fight? Uh, there's been zero backlash and it's been 100% enthusiastic support that I've heard about. Maybe there's somebody somewhere that's grumbling right now because they saw the title of the book or something. I don't know. But anyone that I've encountered, it's like, oh my gosh. In fact, the, the five or six amazing survivors that are in the book sharing their life, when I approached them to, to told them what the idea was, they immediately said, oh, yes, I'm in. And I heard things from these are survivors, women survivors of trafficking saying, I'm so glad you're doing a book for men. Something like this doesn't exist. A survivor informed, a survivor partnered with male calling out other men, I'm told, doesn't exist. <laughs> so it's a unique one of a kind book. And anyone who's close enough to the crime, to the evil, as you say, uh, gets it immediately because there's no question. It's indisputable. The problem is men. And so we need men to step up and, and rise up, not to take anything away from all the great women that are already there fighting hundred percent. When I go to anything, I go to some kind of a training or some kind of a meeting of some kind, it's almost all women and almost no men there. So it's just like, it's obvious. There's already a bunch of great women already doing it. Keep doing it. Ladies, the missing ingredient is good, strong men to join the fight. And all the women that I know and the survivors that I know for sure, they welcome men getting into this fight because they're just hardly or any. Yeah, that, that actually makes me think of uh, we're we're both Christians. And you know, I think one of the, the issues and, and problems that the church has in our current age is, is the lack of of men stepping up and, and, and leading in church and, and leading in their families. And I kind of see a parallel there for sure. Yeah, and, I, and I'm glad to hear you say that. I wasn't 100% sure of, you know, where you guys were coming from. We're just meeting <laughs> each other for the first time. Um, you know, I'm a believer as well. And we we specifically and strategically wrote the book as pretty much faith neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, as you guys read it, there was, there was a verse here once or twice. And some of the other guys I had share, they share their personal faith to some degree. But I didn't want it to be seen as a quote unquote Christian book. Um, it, it, this topic and this issue is bigger than race. It's bigger than politics. It's bigger than if you have a faith or you don't have a faith. Um, it, this is a humanitarian crisis, the fastest growing crime in the world, the yeah. slavery of millions upon millions of people. And I didn't want anyone to disqualify themselves from reading it because they thought it was some kind of a church book or some kind of a Christian book. Now, yeah. those that have faith, they get it. Uh, there's probably nothing on higher on God's to-do list and stamping out this evil against the children that he loves. So people with faith can be motivated, but you don't need to have a personal faith to particularly be motivated to get in this fight. So it's for everybody. You're all welcome. Come on in. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, yeah, like exactly what you said, like faith doesn't even really factor into it fundamentally. You know, we can approach it from from a faith perspective, but ultimately whether you have faith or not, this is wrong on so many levels, you know, like, (laughs) so, so, I mean, for me, for me personally, I was surprised in reading your book, just getting into the basics of how sex trafficking actually works. Cause I think there's a lot of misconceptions about it. So me, I was really surprised like how the process happens of how someone actually gets involved in it and how a pimp can, ch- can charm and manipulate a victim into the life. And most people would look at that and go, well, why doesn't she just call the police? You know, that could end it right there. And reading your book, it's pretty clear. It's not that simple. So could you explain why, how a trafficking victim can't just escape whenever they want? Yeah, the, the the trafficking victim who is in that relationship with their trafficker, the street language is the pimp. When that pimp has that control over her and there's a grooming process that takes her down that path. And in that grooming process, a couple things happen. One of a couple different things. One is she's been so neglected and abused in her life up to that point. This guy comes in like this master manipulator masquerading as someone who cares about her and loves her and is going to protect her and provide for her. And she's never a certain grouping of these young victims has never had that. And they desperately want that affection, that protection and all those kinds of things. And so she begins to think in her world that he loves her. And then she begins to think that she loves him and I'll do anything that he asked me to do. So so I don't lose that because I've never had the love of another human before. I've been abused and neglected. I'm in the foster care system, likely. And so why doesn't she just call the police or get out? She's like, why would I call the police on my boyfriend? He loves me. Like there's such a manipulation. There's such a brainwashing that goes on. It, it absolutely fires me up. It's like, it's so disgusting. 
that somebody would prey on a young, vulnerable, innocent child in that way. So that's one path where it takes them a long time to peel that back. And so they can understand what's happening. So that's why they don't just call the police or they don't just run. Um, the other path is if they start to have those thoughts, uh, they'll learn very quickly that they actually don't have any more choices and they will get beaten. They will get tortured. Uh, as you know, in our book, our co-author shares a story where she went into a house one day and there were, I don't know, nine or 10 girls in dog cages and being waterboarded like this, this is not Thailand or, you know, Bangkok or something like that. This is the United States of America is happening right now. And at Saving Innocence, we've had so many memorial services for kids. I I can't even, I've I've lost count. Like for that, for that person who's trying to leave the controls of that pimp, like I got to get out of here. If she calls the police, she'll get, she'll get killed. If she runs, they'll find her eventually and she'll be murdered like that's legit and so it's like why don't they just call the police (laughs) okay one either they're so confused and brainwashed they think that it's actually safer and better to be with this guy why would i call the police on him i love him he loves me that and or there's real legitimate consequences if they act out in any shape or any way shape or form so it's 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 really manipulative and ugly and gross yeah it's just it's horrible when you when you just look at those situations that you laid out where they truly are trapped, you know, like it isn't, it isn't, it, I mean, that's exactly what it is, is that they're literally trapped. They can't just leave. They sort of are stuck in this position. So it's really good that it's, I think it's really important that you clear up exactly why they can't just leave, you know, that it's not just a simple matter of, Oh, just run away, you know? So I think that is a really important thing for people to understand that it's not that simple. Absolutely not. They're not permitted to do anything that they're not told they can do and they certainly can't call the police or ask for help and they certainly can't run away if they do those things uh they will be met with harshly and um you know we tell we tell the story in the book where one of one of the survivors that i worked with at saving innocence when she was being trafficked that i forget how old it was 12 or 13 years old was driven out into the desert with her best friend the same age best friend had broken a rule stepped out of line somehow and right in front of this little 13 year old, uh, uh, pulled out a gun and, and murdered her best friend right in front of her because she had broken a rule of some kind. Okay. Message sent. So he, she got back in the car. Do you think she's going to step out of line in any way, shape or form ever again? Yeah. No, she's not. Neither would you, <laughs> neither would I. Um, and then you, you stack all that on top of we're talking of average age of entry is about 12 years old. So we're talking about a child who doesn't have the life experience, doesn't have the maturity, brain is still forming. Uh, the world is just c- closing in on her, usually her. And there's just not the resources to even think logistically and strategically about doing anything. You just do what you're told and that's it. So there's no call on the police. Yeah. Well, it goes back to like what you said about the manip- the manipulation where they're led to believe that this is actually a good person who's taking care of them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You said there the the brain is still forming i mean i think there's yeah there's this misconception that it's these oh it's these silly young girls you know that they're trying to be you know noticed and and blah 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 and they kind of got what was coming to them no it is not that at all it's they they are manipulated they have no idea what they're getting into and they're completely innocent and their innocence is what gets preyed upon and used against them. You know, I don't know if you guys are football fans, but the first NFL game is tonight. And when I just, you know, been watching training camp and stuff like that over the last few weeks, catching little news clips. Um, there's a, there's a, a strategic plan. The coaches and the players are watching the film of their opponent so they can determine the weaknesses and the vulnerabilities. And if they find a particular player on the other team is a little slow or a little weak, or a little injured, they're going to attack that vulnerability and that weakness. And that's exactly what happens in this space. They're studying their prey, their predators, studying their prey, and they're attacking the weaknesses and the vulnerabilities of children. And and they're kind of, they're defenseless. You know, that, that slow football player and the fast guy runs by him, he's defenseless. He can't run fast enough because he's hurt. You know, these kids are defenseless um, with these predators that are out searching for the weaknesses and vulnerabilities. And that's, it comes, we come circular here. 
That's where we need good, strong, authentic humans, authentic masculine men to rise up, to step up and say, are you kidding me? I didn't know this was happening. No more, not on my watch. And then figure out a way to get involved. Yeah. Yeah. And this kind of, kind of leads into the next question I had. I, I was curious to get your take on this. Um, So obviously we live in the social media age. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. You can't avoid it. And especially young kids, it's, it's all they do. It's how they communicate. It's just, it's what it is. And it seems to me like with that sex trafficking methods have probably changed to incorporate that. And I can see it becoming easier for the traffickers to access, you know, an an infinite number of lonely, vulnerable girls online. And I was curious what you thought about, um, like how, has the big social media players, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, everything. Um, how have they sought to, or maybe not sought to fight this and how can they do better to fight it? Yeah. The proliferation of the, the internet and social media and all the social apps and everything has thrown gas, you know, rocket fuel on a bonfire. Um, a lot of it has moved online because it's so much easier and quicker and safer for the trafficker um, in order to conduct his business. And, um, the, the, there was a time not that long ago where there was a particular website that was just brazen out in the, just out in the open. You're just ordering up, like you're ordering a pizza. Like I want pepperoni and easy on the sauce, like all these drop down menus of the kind of girl you wanted to buy. And I want Asian and I want, or I want black and I want, you know, young or you know, all you just, you're, you're choosing everything that you want just right there in the open. And then there'd be a picture and be someone not dressed at all or, or very barely dressed. And okay, there it is. I'm going to order that one right there. It's like, it's just ridiculous. What world is, this is a civilized country here. And this is possible. That website did get shut down a few years ago, but I know there's all kinds of other, it's just moved around. That website got shut down. Um, it's happening on the different apps. And um, so it's absolutely fueled. Um, this version of trafficking and exploitation it, it is Facebook and Instagram and those that are, that are, you know, really well-known and well-traveled. They're not going to let something as bold and brazen as I, you know, described earlier, they're not going to be able to get away with that, but there clearly is trafficking happening on all of those apps. And you know it when you see it, and there may be, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, Facebook or Instagram or, you know, all those different things. There's, there's tons of them. TikTok. Um, there will be girls with accounts and you can they're trying to friend you. And they're trying to they're trying to, you know, DM you and DM me. And, and you can tell what they're doing. You can tell they're not. You can tell by what they're saying and what they look like, what they're wearing, that this is what's happening. Although it doesn't say the words like there's not there's no there's there's nothing you can do if you're an authority about that. Um, and also it's a really big internet. And so it's going to, it's going to take a stronger resolve from people who get voted into any kind of power, whether it's local or, or state or federal, they're going to do what the people that voted for them require them to do. That's how they got elected. And until we get an uprising of people, of good people that say, we can't do this anymore. And until we get our politicians saying, we can't do this anymore because my people who voted me, who gave me a job said so, and we have to get over a tipping point. So that then they can go and create legislation and, you know, penalties and laws and all those kinds of things where we're lacking. There's a gap there right now. There isn't enough. There aren't enough legal remedies to shut it all down uh, for various reasons. Yeah, and it needs to become a, a major ballot issue, right? It does. You know, and we talk about it. We talk about it in the book. You know, here's some things that you can do. Listen for those campaign speeches and those debates and look at the, the platforms of the people that are running. Like, do you hear things? that are going to be helpful in this fight or do you hear things that are not going to be helpful in the fight? And it becomes a litmus test for who, who gets voted for, you know, yeah. listen for those things, you know, the elections are coming up here pretty soon. And, you know, we're going to start hearing a lot of, a lot of the blah, 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 blah. And I'm listening. Okay. I need to hear about this. And, and that's, that's one of the things that we can do as citizens, vote the right people in to do the right things. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. So I guess when you look at sex trafficking in terms of supply and demand, it's really obvious that sex trafficking would end just like that overnight if there were no customers for it. So 
I guess, kind of getting back to some of the stuff that you were touching on in, in the beginning, what do you think has gone wrong in men that would cause them to want to pay for a traffic victim in the first place? Uh, boy, a lot has gone wrong, hasn't it? Um, yeah. We, we live, we live, there's, a, there's so many layers to that. We live in society and a culture and a world that largely doesn't really value life that much. Um, certainly there's a lots of places around the world and, and, you know, depending what country everybody's in where, um, women are not thought of as, as equal in a lot of places in the world. Um, minority, um, groups are somewhere down, you know, that, that pecking order too, in a lot of places. And so the, the, it's ripe for, um, I'm not saying any of that is correct or proper. I'm just saying that's what the reality is in so many spots. Yeah. And what has gone wrong with men? Um, there's an entitlement. There's a, an addiction. It often starts as they don't just wake up one day and go down to the street and buy a girl to have sex with in, in, in his car. There's a slow erosion. Usually pornography is part of that. And they started seeing things on their screen after their wife went to bed that looked interesting. And then they get addicted in some way and they start wondering, Oh, I wonder what that would be like. And they start going down a little bit, a little bit further down that rabbit hole. And, and then the next step is maybe going to some kind of a strip club or something like that, being in a live encounter with people that are, you know, um, performing sexually. And then, you know, that last step is I'm going to go and either find a street somewhere where the, where the girls are out for sale on the street, or I'm going to somehow figure out how to do it online. Uh, you know, I don't know how much of your audience is, uh, you know, faith-based believers, Christians. Um, ultimately there's a, you know, people of faith would call this evil. And, um, there's a broken world where many people, um, don't care about good and evil. They just care about satisfying themselves. And there's an evil that they've given themselves over to. They, you gotta sell some part of your soul. Like if you're literally going to, pick up a, a, of any age, but especially we focus at saving innocence on minors. If you're literally going to get into a hotel room or into a car with a 12 year old, that's the average age of entry. The youngest kiddo that we've taken care of at saving innocence was just seven years old, seven, seven, eight years old. Well, kid first grade, whatever that is like for a grown man to literally get to that spot. Oh man. Uh, there's some hurt and some brokenness that happened in his life. That's generational. Some of that was modeled for him. He was probably molested and abused when he was a child. I'm making excuses. I'm just saying, here's how this happens. That's how you answer that question. Um, and for that business person, that little league coach, that dentist, that cop, that pastor, that friend, that guy next door, um, about half of them are lonely. And for whatever reason, they're um, unsatisfied with any kind of romantic part. Maybe their wife left them or maybe their marriage is still intact you know, they're married, but they're not, they don't have a good relationship. He's lonely for whatever reason. Uh, others, it's not the lonely so much. It's just, I just want to get what I want when I want it. And I'm going to satisfy my needs. And who cares? Uh, who cares about that person? That's the victim. Obviously society doesn't. So why should I? And I'm just going to go down this path because there's no higher power that's telling me not to for a lot of those guys. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad that you've mentioned pornography in that too. Cause I think, I think one of the positive developments is that recently it seems that pornography and sex trafficking are being talked about in tandem with one another, like as in one fuels the other, which I think is extremely important. So I was hoping you could maybe elaborate more on how big of a role pornography plays in the demand for sex trafficking. Well, as far as pornography, um, you know, uh, the mistake that a lot of people could make is that everyone you see in pornography is there consensually. They're there because they want to. When the reality is most of the people you see on the screen are not there consensually. They've been coerced in some way. They've been actually, in some cases, actually trafficked into that movie set or that motel room. And when you're trafficked, you're under the control of a third party, your pimp, your trafficker. Like you don't have a choice. Like I told you before, if you don't go in there, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> right. You don't have a choice. Now, the problem with pornography, among many, is that uh, knucklehead sitting on his computer after hours or phone or whatever, there's no little banner, there's no little button of any kind that lets you know that the person on the screen is completely there, free will, they're an adult, they're a consenting adult, they're, it's consensual, so relax, uh, there's no victim here. There's no way that that isn't ever told, that's never said. And the reality is that the majority of them are there against their will. Now, I'm no lawyer, but non-consensual sex is rape. Yep. So we should 
actually change the name from pornography. You can still call it, but let's make this a subtitle. It's actually a crime scene. There should be yellow police tape around your computer, guys, as you're looking at pornography. It's a crime scene because you're literally sitting there after hours for a lot of you receiving some kind of gratification or some kind of enjoyment off of somebody getting raped. Like you're literally watching somebody getting raped. Now, if that doesn't throw a cold bucket of water on every guy listening right now, I don't know what will. Yeah. Like you're literally sitting there enjoying and, and maybe maybe paying money. You're literally monetizing somebody's rape. That's what pornography is. And um, to the, the smaller percentage where that's not actually happening on the screen, you have no way of knowing. So how in the world could you possibly turn it on even one more time, not knowing if, they're, if you're going to watch a rape video or not? How is that connected to trafficking? It's very much connected. They say the average age of, I think, first exposure is somewhere eight or nine years old. So we're desensitizing our future buyers and our future victims. And the, yeah. the Internet and pornography is informing them. Here's what love looks like. Here's what sex looks like. Look, and there's multiple partners and there's all kinds of people doing all kinds of things. And there's 20 guys doing something to that girl. I guess that's oh, oh I guess that's the way it is. I guess that's what I should expect. I guess that's what I should participate in. And so that just keeps them down a path where that future victim, whether it's a male or a female, is going to be preconditioned to it's not going to seem so out of line when it actually happens for real because she or he's already been watching it. And for those those future buyers, um, again, it's desensitizing, devaluing humanity and sexuality. And that's uh, conditions are, are ripe for human trafficking to, to grow out of that. It's very much connected in some, in some ways, sometimes it actually is human trafficking being played out on the screen. Yeah. And that's, I, and I, I've gotten into some YouTube comment section arguments about that very thing where I bring up the point that you're likely watching a sex trafficking victim and they still try to justify it. I'm just thinking, it's like, yeah, well maybe a few of them are not there consensually, but you know, it's basic. I just wish they would just be honest and say, yeah, you may be right, but I just don't care. Yeah. You know, it's like right. you said, it's that desensitizing to the truth. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's absolutely ugly. I mean, if, if someone's not cured, they just don't believe it. You know, I guess you, you don't want to believe it. You want to be, you want to do what you want to do. This is the human condition, right? We want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And it's called sin. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like the heart wants what it wants. So why should you resist that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So one thing I think you, you cover it in chapter four of the book, um, I thought was really interesting that you brought it up. One thing I've always had a problem with as far as um, most rap music is just the demeaning, you know, apart from the, the, the drug use, the violence, the killing that, that gets talked about in the lyrics, the demeaning tone that is so prevalent in so many rap albums of women and i i find it odd and, and interesting that uh the whole me too movement um it kind of skipped over the whole genre of rap music and i i'm wondering why and I, i'm curious if if you've thought about that and 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 maybe you could kind of speak to that it really is disgusting um yeah the the bulk of just kind of that hip-hop rap scene is every bit demeaning, disgusting um, song lyrics, usually demeaning women and sexuality. It's it's teaching our young listeners that uh, women, generally speaking, are disposable. You can discard them when you're done with them. You can violently discard them. You can use them. This is what our young listeners are hearing, being drummed into their heads, into the locker rooms at school, into the cars when they're being driven. This is what dads, a lot of your dads are listening are probably, or a lot of these men you're, are listening are probably dads. And this is one of the, my challenges for men is to step up and be a leader in your community, accept responsibility for your family, like we talked about, accept responsibility for the people close to you. And you, we're just not going to patronize people that have those kinds of themes in their music. We're not going to let it in our house. You have direct control over what happens in your house yeah. on your kids, iTunes accounts. Like you can, you can do that and then be a leader and a voice in the people you have an audience with. It's just disgusting. I, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that a lot of our kids have been literally lost their lives. 
I remember, I don't know, about a year ago, whenever it was, we had just had a memorial service for one of our kids that was violently murdered in such a way where it was obvious that she had experienced sexual assault up until her last breath. It was just disgusting. And in that last, in that moment, I'm looking at my phone, the service just ends and I get a little, you know, announcement from whatever newsfeed comes on and they announced who the musicians were going to be for the Super Bowl halftime show. And I almost, almost threw up. I mean, the guys that just performed at the last Super Bowl in February have made millions and millions and millions of dollars on celebrating sexual assault and sexual violence. In fact, one of the guys that actually celebrates that he was an actual former pimp and trafficker himself. And the song lyrics are the most violent, disgusting, grotesque attack on humanity and sexuality imagining. So, so think about this, like, Here's our young kid. I mean, that's probably the biggest musical act you have in the world is the halftime of the Super Bowl, it seems yeah. like, anymore. I mean, a billion people are watching it, I guess. And so what are all the young kids that are still impressionable thinking? I guess it's okay. They're singing along with the lyrics. And, I, I mean, all the adults in the room, all the people that run the, the NFL and everybody else seem to think it's okay. It's not a big deal. So I guess it's okay. It's not a big deal. And all these yeah. families around here had their, half, had their TV on at halftime and all their families watching it. I guess this is normal. I guess it's accepted. So we're sending the wrong messages from A to Z to our future buyers and our future victims. We, as society, are complicit. It's not just this little niche, little crime that's happening with broken people that live in a van down by the river. We're talking about the most prolific business in the world, the NFL. Yeah. Not to mention the supporters and the sponsors. They are celebrating and endorsing sexual assault and sexual violence by who they hired to sing at the halftime. We had a lot of we have a lot of work to do. I, I don't know how yeah. Me Too didn't get involved. There's a lot of things that I don't understand. I, I don't I, I don't have an answer for that. Other yeah. than it's in the bucket of we're in a broken, dysfunctional world. It's in a free fall. Our society's in a moral free fall. And that's exhibit A. Um, a group that somehow cares about women and girls and and sexual assault is not was not picketing the Super Bowl. Maybe there were some. I don't know. But why why wasn't there? I mean, if you listeners, I'm not going to call the names out here. I won't get any of us in trouble. <laughs> but you listeners, go Google who who performed at the Super Bowl and yeah. pull up some of their song lyrics. It won't be hard to find. And right. I don't know why those weren't published. I don't know why people weren't picketing. You know, I. We generally have a Super Bowl party at our house, and um, we didn't really have one this year because COVID was kind of still hanging around. But it's like, you know, we had a few friends. I said, okay, just so you know, um, we're going to turn the TV off during halftime. Okay. That's, that's what that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> like the NFL cares about my me turning my <laughs> TV off for 20 minutes. Obviously, it makes no impact whatsoever to their numbers. But, you know, this whole thing comes down to us as strong men and women, but strong men, if your audience is mostly men, taking a stand right where we are. I'm not going to watch these pigs up on the on the stage celebrating sexuality and, and uh, sexual abuse. Yeah, we're not going to do it. Let's just we're just not going to do it. Uh, to your point, I mean, yeah, if one person, two people, turn off their their TVs at the halftime show, it doesn't make a difference. But what if millions did? Yeah, right. To your to your point, calling man to do something. I mean, that's the easiest thing you could possibly do. Turn right. the TV off. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I I often think of yeah you know, some of yeah, some of the the lyrics that you hear in, in rap music is is just so grotesque. And what I love to I've gotten debates with people about rap music and you know the the argument is always, well, it's culture and yeah, yeah okay, but how about if if it's just culture and it's harmless, take those lyrics, read them, don't sing them, don't don't rap. Just read the lyrics off like you're reading a book and read them to your mother. Yeah. Read them to your daughter. Read them to your wife. Yeah. Right. Do you feel okay in reading those? Mm-hmm. No. And this is where it comes back down to the book and the challenge for men to step up and rise up. And we just need enough men to take that stand and cause a ruckus. Let's throw some, let's throw, kick some dust in the ground and, and expose some of these lies and these, this evil, as you mentioned earlier on. Yeah. Um, and we get, I don't know what the tipping point is, but if we get enough men to have enough courage to lead courageously, like we talked about, accept some responsibility, lead courageously. If we can get enough men doing that, 
we can see a change. It's going to take a while, maybe. That's why we don't have any time to waste. We got to get going right now. Yep. We have no time to waste. Yeah, absolutely true. Well, so as kind of a lead into uh, into what you just said there, so there's been some recent victories in fighting pornography, specifically on social media sites. I don't know if you heard about some of those stories that have come out recently about Instagram shutting down Pornhub's profile and Twitter stopping OnlyFans-style content from appearing on their platform. And Pornhub, too, they've also had some high-profile customers like Visa, PayPal, and MasterCard stop doing business with them altogether because of a lot of potential child porn and sexual abuse and everything appearing on the platform. So could these be signs that, that the culture is slowly turning toward a positive outcome here in, in ending sex trafficking? Those are definitely um, that particular space is definitely signs of really a a big, huge win and a big victory. Um, Friends of mine that um, are in an organization called Exodus cry were the ones that were leading the crusade against Pornhub specifically, they renamed it for their marketing called Trafficking Hub. And they were, they got all the gazillions of signatures and went to Washington, D.C. And next thing you know, Visa MasterCard pulled out. And so they were really uh, hugely responsible for that. And, um, but what it took was a small group of people to say, this is appalling. We're not going to stand for this. And then they got the million signatures and they got, they went on all the different news. This, next thing you know, they're getting interviewed on all the various news channels. And um, they made a big marketing pan- campaign, but if they had just sat on the couch and just, oh, wow, that's, that stinks. That's terrible. It, it would have happened. And Pornhub is essentially shut down right now. Uh, I know they had, they, they um, deleted some 80% of their, their videos early on because they were kind of proven to be assault videos. And then they could no longer monetize it because Visa and Massacre, everybody pulled out. Um, so it's, it's a big fight. But that's a good example of something positive can happen if we can just have a little courage and step up and get into a a fight worth fighting. Yeah, absolutely. Like when those stories came out, I just thought to myself, finally, some sign that things could potentially be turning toward the better. So it gives it gives me hope that like what you said, you know, just getting all it takes is a small group saying we're not having this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, no platform is too big. I mean. That's a perfect example. Pornhub is huge. I mean, billions, billions of downloads monthly. And yeah, that just takes, as you say, a few people to say this has to end enough. And all of this starts in the home. So, yeah, let's have a vision to change the world. Absolutely. But the spoiler alert, guys, it starts with you to look look in the mirror. We all got to look ourselves in the mirror. And then let's make sure we're the right kind of man in our home. We're the right kind of husband. We're the right kind of father. We're not going to allow pornography. We're not going to allow ourselves to go down the path of pornography. We're not going to allow our children, when our our kids get old enough, to maybe think about that. And maybe little boys more faster than little girls. We're going to make sure we have a good, honest talk with them. We're going to put the spy software on the computers. We're going to monitor it. We're going to be vigilant, and we're not going to let our people be part of the problem. So let's start there. Yeah. If we can agree to that. Now get a few get a few dads together. And let's all kind of link arms, buy our book, <laughs> read a chapter a week, get together, have coffee and talk about it. Okay, what are we going to do about this? And and we just continue that process until there's no more work to be done. Amen. Um, so in your, in your solutions portion of the book, which I really loved, um, to be honest, I, I struggled reading this book. And you did warn at the beginning <laughs> that it's going to be a hard read. And it was, it really was. Um, so I was thankful to get to the, the part three of the the solutions. Yeah. Um, so you sit, you stayed in there that to end sex trafficking, um, we must never decriminalize prostitution. Yeah. And I think of Europe, you know, where it's legalized and, and regulated by the government, um, you know, countries like Germany, the Netherlands, um, what, what is the reality of that legalized regulatory approach to prostitution and, and why is that the wrong approach? Yeah, that it's such a flawed narrative um, to somehow the people that be on the pro side of that, and there's a little movement of, of, you know, there's a loud, noisy, small movement that says we should fully decriminalize that here in the United States. And um, p- part of that is under kind of the, the almost the me too vibe, like we're going to empower women, you know, to do what they want to do with their bodies and all that kind of stuff. 
It's like, okay, there's some real flaws there. Uh, number one, the places and other parts of the world where they have fully decriminalized, uh, we see trafficking goes up, not down. We're expanding the market to, to, to legalize all things prostitution, otherwise fully decriminalize it. You're going to let pimps and brothel owners just run rampant with, with total impunity. There's going to be more idiot knucklehead guys out there trying to buy sex because now they can. They're going to need more of their product. And we get back to this business term, supply and demand. We're going to need more product. Well, we're going to find that product. It's going to be younger and more vulnerable people. They're going to they're going to be into the schools and the foster care system. And they're going to be recruiting more and more children. That's the hard stop for me. Theoretically, you could potentially say there's a 25, 35, 45-year-old woman out there that is totally consensually not being forced to do it, and she wants to do it. You could have that argument, put that in the parking lot for one minute. But the problem is, the big problem is that there's going to be hordes of children are going to be forced into this. And there's no universe where it's okay to go be 12 years old and be raped a dozen times a night because now it's legal. We're going to somehow legalize that? These, these kids that are being trafficked, and we detail it in the book, and some of our survivors tell their stories. It's not uncommon to have 10, 12, 15, or 20 encounters every single day at 10, 11, 12 years old. 15 or 20 is not uncommon. Non-consensual sex, that they're going to be raped 15 or 20 times a night by a grown adult. And in what brain should we legalize that? It just makes no sense. And you know, the stats on the, the potential older person who's consensual, uh, 98% of them, that's not a real stat. I'm just saying almost all of them were brought into it when they were children, when they were minors. And so now they're, they've endured this and now they might say, I want to do this. They've literally been brainwashed and manipulated and lied to and abused in every such way possible where they literally don't think there's anything else that they can do. And now they have a couple of children. They got to feed their kids, so you can't even. You got to You got to sort of unpeel that onion. And then just lastly on on that, this whole idea, the concept that we would legalize it and sort of make it like a legitimate job, like an actual job job, where you know you pay your taxes and and you get insurance or whatever it is. Like it's a job. It's legal, fully decriminalized. Okay. Well, if we're going to look at it as a job, the stats are off the chart in terms of sexual abuse in terms of homicides that happen in the workplace. If this is going to be a workplace, Hmm. I I forget the exact stat, but it's some 75% of trafficked people that are being trafficked have said that they've been violently raped five times or more. Don't quote me on those exact numbers, but that's something like that. That's not even calling the normal encounter rape, which it is. It's non-consensual. We're talking actual sexual assault rape. Now, can you go work at Apple or IBM and be raped in the workplace five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. Is that okay? Like that, that's what we're saying. We're going to turn our back on the workplace argument. This is a legitimate workplace. Oh, really? Well, how many people got murdered at your workplace recently? Are employees at Apple getting murdered on the job? I haven't heard of any. Hmm. So it's just upside down in every which way. And like I said, there's kind of a, a noisy, uh, narrative out there where people are trying to dismantle the laws around the country that um, are prosecuting perpetrators. And that's where I want readers of the book to be aware of that. Have your eyes open, make sure that you're not voting for you're voting against people that are trying to dismantle that. Cause that's really a significant uh, problem. Yeah. I think of, I think of County prosecutors. I mean, that's, that's the people that we need to be on the right side of this. The people who actually have the influence to put these people behind bars and keep them there. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to read a, a portion of the book that I really loved. Uh, this was, I think it was a chapter four as well. Um, so you're talking about our, our sons and daughters. And I just want to read, read this portion. You say, our little girls are constantly lied to regarding their value, their worth, and the world's perception of their beauty. Our little boys are constantly lied to regarding their strength and purpose on this earth should be what their purposes in this earth should be used for. Without the consistent influence of a strong father figure, 
providing the proper perspective on media and keeping a watchful eye on harmful messaging there is a destructive storm on the horizon and i love that i i have a, a daughter and a son and i mean that's your mission as a dad yeah and you know this whole this whole idea that you just you know you, you need to let kids just explore the world mm-hmm. sure they need to explore things but there are very key important guardrails that it is your job as a parent to put up and it is your job to to die before those guardrails get torn down because they're there for a reason yeah uh absolutely and and i think i think we mentioned uh, alluded to it earlier I want dads to know, and moms, of course, but, you know, kind of my lane is speaking to men here in this, in this space and dads, um, that the FBI told us, this is an older stat, I'm sure it's more now, but there's at least a million predators online, predators online. And that was before the pandemic, actually. And then more people are online more now than ever. And so the predators, I'm sure tripled or more than that. You know, I spoke of something not long ago and I, I showed a little one minute video. We've all seen versions of this, the National Geographic video and the big words on the screen said predators. And it shows a lion and the lion is on the, out in the jungle somewhere and he's sleeking down, you know, in the tall grass. He's downwind like he's instinctually he knows it's not an accident. He knows what he's looking for and how he can not be detected. And then that big herd of zebra or whatever it is comes running by. And if those videos you've seen. That lion does not jump on the first strong, confident, and aware animal. He waits for the pack to go by and for that young, unconfident, unaware one who's not running fast enough. He jumps on that one. He chases that one down, and he has his lunch on that one. There, And that's what's happening out in this world. We're not trying to over-dramatize it, not trying to put a big scare tactic, but I am trying to figuratively reach through the screen or your tablet or your whatever you're listening to this right now guys and figuratively grab you by the shirt collar and shake you and say there are people with bad intentions out as predators and they're looking for the slow unaware one that's lacking confidence they're looking for that one so do everything you can to raise your sons and your daughters to be the strong confident aware ones and then help them be leaders in their world and help them to be courageous and help them to help protect the weak, slow ones. Don't have your child be the slow, weak one lacking awareness. Whatever you do, don't do that. Yeah, that's that's your first job. And, <clears throat> Number one. and then as as you're saying that the ones that are, you know, left out in the open because they're they're neglected, they're abused from the beginning, then yeah, it's our job to step up and defend them as well. Well, I, mean, I want to, if we can't do that, what are we even doing? Yeah. Like guys, as, as men, what are we even doing? What, what are we, what are we on the playing computer games? Are we obsessed with our fantasy football team that's coming up? I mean, what are we doing if we can't take some proactive measures and engage in this fight? Cause it's coming to your doorstep, whether you engage or not, it's coming and it's already here. It's coming in to your house right now through the media, through the internet. If we can't step up, we got problems. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it sort of reminds me in, in toward the beginning of your book, you had that great quote where it's not somebody else's job. It's our job, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I think that that particular quote really gets to the heart of where we are as a culture, where we just have this feeling of, Oh, somebody else will deal with it. Yeah. It's a serious problem, but you know, someone else can do it. Someone more qualified, someone with more connections, you know, like, like me, for example, you know, I'm single, I'm not married, don't have any kids. So by all rights, I could just use that as as an excuse, but I'm not exempt, you know, right? like kids are kids. It doesn't matter whose they are. Like we can still fight for them regardless of our status. Well, and the urgent message I'm trying to relate to, to men, you know, through this book and podcasts like these, the biggest mistake that we could make would be someone like yourself, Scott, to tune out. Oh, I don't have kids. I'm not abusing women. I'm not buying what I don't do any of that. And I don't have my own kids. So you might mistakenly just tune out. This isn't for me. And what I want all men to know, if you can hear my voice right now, I'm talking to you and the people that, you know, Mm -hmm. we are all complicit. We are all participating in one way or the other in this dark, dark ugliness happening. And 
the small percentage of men that are going down the path and doing all the ugly things we're talking about. Okay, that's obvious. But if we're not doing that, which most of you aren't, we're passively allowing it to happen right under our nose. And someone might say, I'm not allowing it to happen. And then I would say, well, is it happening? Uh, yeah. Well, then you're allowing it to happen. <laughs> this is the part we're trying to kick everyone in the butt, cross the line, get off the sidelines, get in the game. Because we're allowing this thing to happen. doesn't matter if it's to your kid or not, if you have kids or not. We're allowing the most egregious form of child abuse to happen right in our midst. And I don't know exactly where you guys are located right now. Where are you guys located right now? Uh, Washington State. Perfect. I was born in Seattle. Um, I guarantee that anyone who's listening here, I mean, you might have somebody up out in the wilds of Montana. There's not another human being <laughs> listening right now within <laughs> 10 miles. But, you know, your basic civilized uh, town or something, within a few miles of where you're sitting right now, there are victims, vulnerable victims being bought and sold tonight. And yeah. that's just not okay. We need more men to say that's not okay and get involved and do something about it. And we've outlined plenty of things you can do in the book. Shameless plug for the book. I will say this. Proceeds of the book are benefiting survivors of sex trafficking. There's about five or six amazing survivors that are in the book. They all get a percentage of the of whatever money that comes in. Um, and I have a job. I don't, I don't need money from the book. We're, we're funneling it back into those that have this lived experience and are part of this project. So I can unapologetically and with all humility, I can say, guys, buy at least a case of these books. Okay. Buy a few. Think of the guys that you know, the, the, the kind of guy that you can give a book to. Is it six of those guys? Are there 10 of them in your circle? What is it? Buy that many books. Christmas is not far away. Get your Christmas shopping early. Get one for all the guys on your, uh, that you know, all the sons, all the, all the nephews, all the neighbors, all the brothers, get them all this book and let's, let's cause a revolution in a good way uh, for men. And um, it's, it comes down to we as men, are we going to allow this to happen without a fight? Are you going to go down without a fight? Uh, I'm looking for a bunch of good, strong men that are not willing to go down without a fight. Let's get after this thing. Yeah, I I think you were saying there, buy you know buy a a bunch of these and and give them to your group of friends and and you got to be willing to talk about things that are uncomfortable. Yeah, and in this in this subject, yeah, porn's going to come up. Yep, who's who's using it? And, and most most of the guys out there are using it, if not yeah. all out and addicted. And so we got to have a real honest talk. We can take courageous leadership. With yeah. the guys that we run with, first we got to figure it out in our own world and see if that's a battle we got to fight in our own world. Anyone yeah. who's listening right now, so have that fight. Get some help if you need it. But then, okay, the, the handful of guys that you're connected to, you know, we're going to need courageous men to step up and say, "Let's talk about this." Did you know that most of the people on that screen are being raped right in front of your eyes? Did you know that? You, okay, does that change anything? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have a lot of work yeah. to do. And it's really important too, I think, just kind of leading into that where you can, you can use that as a fuel to tell men, you may think that you're soiled. You may think that you're not good enough. You may, you might feel shame and guilt for, you know, your pornography use, which a lot of men do, you know, I mean, there's plenty of men that don't care, but there's many men that really do feel that shame. So they think, you know, what can I do? I'm useless. I'm worthless. And then it's, you know, your message is so good in that you're saying, no, you can do something about it. You know, you're not. You know, it doesn't matter what your status is. Maybe you're addicted to porn. Maybe you're fighting it. Like use that shame to conquer that and turn it into something positive. You know, every uh, what's that book? Every Man's Battle. I actually never read it, but there's a pretty famous book on porn called Every Man's Battle. And um, I don't know if it's every, every man, but it's it's almost every man in some way, shape or form are battling that. There's the tentacles of the dark part of society that are reaching into all of us. There's a whispered lie speaking to all of us. And it's, we have to stand up against it with to recognize what it is. And yeah, I'm not minimizing all out addiction and people have come from abusive situations and this has been their outlet. Um, it's not about what you did yesterday. And even today, it's about what you do tomorrow. Uh, I'm no psychologist. It's one day at a time and get some help. There's a lot of, there's a lot of resources out there. Um, there's a great website, social media campaign called fight the new drug. Oh, yeah. I, actually, I actually was interviewed by them. Oh, yeah. you weren't right there. Is that, is that fight the new drug shirts? There you go. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
I just uh, picked I, up some merch today for it, actually. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. yeah no, I, they actually interviewed me a year ago and did a whole thing talking about this on their, nice. their podcast. Oh, that's great. Yeah. We were, we were wanting to interview them too at some point. Yeah. Yeah. They're great. Yeah. But um, the point is there's resources out there. As much garbage it's on one click away on the internet, there's a bunch of great resources and support groups and things like that. So bottom line is we, we, we can't, use, there's no more excuses. We can't use any excuses. We have to jump across the line and say, no more excuses. Uh, I'm not doing all that crazy stuff. Now it's time for me to push against it and fight against it. And um, and we would proudly and humbly offer the book. We have a little website called fightforme.net. Uh, if the book's for sale on Amazon, you just type it in, men fight for me, it'll come up. But one more step, go to fightforme.net. You can buy the book there, click the button there. But there's also a bunch of other resources there. In fact, I link Fight the New Drug is there for people who are interested. Um, some of the survivors that are in our book, they have books and, and different things um, that are linked there. So you could just poke around. There's a little video uh, log we created. We've interviewed just like this on Zoom with a bunch of the survivors that are in the book and other people. And they're they're located right there on that website. Um, and so kind of step one is to get a little more educated. Uh, step one, get the book. Step two, buy a bunch of extra books and give them to people. <laughs> but then you go down the Google rabbit hole, start at fightforme.net, watch all the videos that are on that website. In fact, I think my uh, interview of Fight the New Drug is on there, if I'm not mistaken. And um, and just let this, re-listen to this podcast. Uh, we said a lot in the last, you know, 45 minutes. Re-listen to it a second, a third, a fourth time. Let it sink in. Let it be bothered. Uh, you said, Jamie, I don't know if you said it on air before, that it was a hard read. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it was a struggle and, you know, you got through it. That's great. That's exactly what I want to hear. If you came to me and said, oh, that was great. Yeah, that was a cool, cool book. And I was like, well, I'm not sure. You better go read it again. <laughs> and uh, right. somewhere in the darkness, when you're losing sleep at night, uh, men of faith can listen for God's voice and urge you how, how you can get involved. I don't know what it is for you, but there's something you can do and we need you to do it. And we need it pretty soon. Right. Amen to that. Yeah. You, you listed some resources there. Um, I want to point out in the book, you, the, the whole back of the the book, all the appendices is great resources. There's, mm -hmm. there's resources on how to report human trafficking, the yep. warning signs, yep. uh, things your church can do um, resources for porn addiction. You, you mentioned fight the new drug. And um, I also love how you ended the book with it, with the quote from Teddy Roosevelt, the man in the arena. I love that. It was a great way to end the book. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And then we had to throw in a couple of Jack Nicholson quotes on a few good men. I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom, right, from the great courtroom scene of a few good men. And so, yeah, men, we have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. We're quoting Colonel Nathan Jessup from A Few Good Men. Now step into that responsibility. Don't run from it. Accept the responsibility. Pillar one of being an authentic man. You want to be a real man? Step into the responsibility that you have. And you as a man, as a good man, if you're listening to this, you're a good man. If you haven't turned it off already, you're a good man. If a good man steps into this fight, into this responsibility. And we're here to help. I'm here to help any way I can. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I want to mention I'm a I'm a dad and and you had two great recommendations for for dads with daughters. You you wrote a book called yep. uh, Prize Possession. Yep. And and for for dads with boys, Raising a Modern Knight by Robert Lewis. Yes. Two excellent choices. Um, and yeah, it's 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 something so important. You know, we we get so busy with our our day to day, but we can never forget that we're molding these little lives, these little minds and, and what we say and do, you know, they're watching us. Yeah. So as you've said a million times that it starts in the home, it starts with us and we as men need to look in the mirror and lead ourselves. That's it. Sounds easy. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Yeah. Well, and I, I want to thank you for joining us. I've, I've really enjoyed this. Um, the book was as I said, a tough read, but a necessary read. I think every every man would be challenged by it and be also encouraged by it. So um, thank you for writing it. Thanks for, for reaching out to us and, and uh, 
we look forward to seeing what this what this brings and i want to stay in touch with you as well absolutely well i appreciate it you guys have my email and um on the website fightforme.net there is a contact little tab at the top and you can send me an email any of your listeners can send me an email Hey, can you just say, what did, what did you say about this? Or I have another question or, you know, can you give me a link to whatever? I mean, I welcome the conversation and um, this is what I'm doing. I, I, my day job is I lead Saving Innocence, an anti-trafficking agency. I got my up to my ears and all this stuff, but um, you know, so I, I don't, it's related, but it's more of a hobby, if you will. Uh, my lane is to challenge and encourage men. I don't, we didn't touch on this. and I'll just briefly say this. The title of the book comes from a survivor on a stage and you guys read it. She, Rachel tells her story in chapter three, and she says in the middle of her trauma, I could no longer fight for myself. I needed someone to fight for me. That's where the fight for me part comes from the book and the website. I needed someone to fight for me. And so men out there, good men, good, strong men, there, there are survivors that are on the edge of taking their own life because they're so helpless and hopeless on the circumstances. And they've given up many of them. They've waved the white flag. I can no longer fight for myself. This is all I can do no one is coming to look for me. I needed someone to fight for me. Well, <laughs> here's our battle cry guys. Let's go. I'll fight for you and you and you, and let's see how many good men we get to, to join in this fight and then figure out what your lane is and step into it. I needed someone to fight for me. Who's with me. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll post Alan's uh, info on uh, the show notes. And um, we'll, if you, if you want to reach out to him, reach out to us, we'll send you, any any resource you need um we're here to help and and walk through you with that so thanks again alan and uh, for being part of the podcast and we'll be in touch thank you thanks for having me appreciate it thanks for listening to this episode of virtuous man to learn more about the fight against sex trafficking visit fightforme.net and savinginnocence.org If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and a comment wherever you're listening and follow us on our Instagram page at virtuous underscore men and subscribe on YouTube at virtuous men podcast to see the video of this episode. Join us next time for another edition of loose and unscripted where we discuss nuggets of wisdom we've learned throughout the years and go through Kipling's famous poem, if.